Thank you so much, worship. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a saying up here in Denton now. Uh, anything you can play, Denton can, uh, Devin can play with one less string. So amen. <clears throat> so we are very excited uh, to have him and have the entire worship team. Minor does a great job up here. We are very excited about that. Uh, I think they're all so excited that I, I have no part of it. So... Amen. And I'm going to tell you a true story. Okay. This is a hundred percent true. Uh, so growing up in the church, uh, you, ju- you just know all the songs, right? You remember the song books? We used to put them on the chair. Uh, so growing up, I-, I knew all the songs. And so I would uh, part sing sometimes until I hit maturity. And then I didn't. Um, and so one Sunday I was at another service here in Dallas, not this one. And someone got sick and they're like, Hey, we need someone to just get up there and sing a song. And I was like, I can do it. So I get up on stage and I feel like I'm, I'm singing with all my heart, but I'm having trouble hearing myself. And so I kind of, during one of the parts, I turn like this, tap the mic, there's nothing on it. And so I was just singing and I, I guess I was just filling a spot. So I think everybody agrees. They're grateful I'm not up here leading worship. Amen. But it definitely encourages my soul to have all of you guys up here in Denton. We love having you guys here. It's such a blessing. We love our facility. It is phenomenal. Uh, We definitely feel uh, very encouraged to be here. And so today we're talking, uh, well, about the cross. So both services have been doing this. Uh, Up here in Denton, actually, what we've been uh, narrowing in on are people that uh, that stood near the cross. Uh, and the impact the cross had on their lives and kind of their view of Jesus uh, from where they stood. It's actually been a great study. And uh, if, if you want to listen to something fun, a couple weeks ago, uh, we did a lesson on uh, Do You Have the Heart of Judas? And so if you're looking to uh, be pricked a little bit, I encourage you to go listen to that later. Uh, but the Northwest, or now, excuse me, the Central Group, uh, you guys have been looking at uh, different sayings that Jesus had up on the cross. And so we're going to continue that trend today, and I'm going to focus in on the, the phrase, I thirst. So I wish I could tell you uh, that I had a deep connection with this passage, but what happened was, is Todd said, okay, these are the ones we haven't done. And, and I looked and I saw it and I go, that's the one I want. It was clear. And, and again, I wish it was because I felt like, you know, the spirit was really calling me. Or, or maybe God made it very clear that this is the lesson to preach. That's not the case. Um, the real reason I chose this passage is because in the first five seconds, I thought of four different sermon titles that go with this. And so I spent probably more time than I should have trying to land on one of the sermon titles. And here's a couple of the ideas that came across. Uh, first one was Obey Your Thirst. <laughs> Little Sprite slogan. I think what you're going to notice here is I watch too much television. I don't have time anymore, but that's what it used to be. So Obey Your Thirst, it felt... Uh, probably a little demanding, so I, I moved on past that one. And the next one, the thirst quencher. Gatorade. Amen. Um, and then I got one that I was like, okay, this is the one. Uh, I didn't end up going with it, and I'll tell you why here in a minute. Number three was stay thirsty, my friends. So cl- I wanted to, okay? I just didn't really know if we could advertise you know, alcohol from the pulpit. We don't even drink wine anymore. You get what I'm saying? So we, we moved on. And then I, I was writing on my Mac, and so I naturally went with I thirst. That was an easy one. 
right? But that seemed lame and outdated, and I, I didn't want to seem that way with my, you know, trying to be cool for the students. You get that. And so there, there was a lot to choose from, okay? I wrestled with this, again, longer than I should have. And, and I got to a point where, like, all right, let's scrap this. And uh, I was listening to music, and a song came on that I thought fit perfectly. And so the title of my sermon today is Running on Empty. That's an older song, guys. You, okay? All right. <clears throat> so I know many of you are going to spend the next few moments like he should have gone with Stay Thirsty. All right, well, just, just stay with me, all right? We're going to look at Jesus, and we're going to look at him together. So... During my times with God recently, uh, Alan can attest to this, we've been reading a lot for school. Uh, probably, uh, I've had my quiet times, I've had my school quiet times, I've had, you know, my lesson quiet times, which is good, I'm reading a lot of the Bible, and so, which is awesome. And so one of the things that I've been doing is I've been reading all of the Gospels. Okay, this is for a class we're taking, we've been reading all the Gospels. And as I've been reading them, one of the things that we were encouraged to do by our professor is read each gospel like that's the only thing you know about Jesus. Okay, so you're reading Matthew like you've never heard of Mark, Luke, or John. You're reading Mark like you've never heard of Matthew, Luke, and John, and you get it. And the idea is because that's more than likely how the, the people who are picking these up for the first time would read them. And what I noticed was, is what oftentimes we can do is we could read something in Matthew, let's say, and then we can try to tie in ideas from other books in our, in our kind of our ideas to get a full perspective. And this is what really convicted me, and I had to ask myself, do I need the full perspective or am I diluting a book that God thought was good enough to give to everybody else? And so today, we're going to be in John, and we're only going to be in John, and because I think it's important for us to see okay, this idea of I thirst being built up in how we got there. And it was tempting because I wanted to go into, okay, you know, Jesus in the garden, he talked about, uh, you know, my cup, take this cup of me, away from me. You look in the Beatitudes and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, neither of those are in John. So that wasn't important to John at least as, as far as telling the story of Jesus in his gospel. And so today we're only going to be in John. So turn with me to John chapter 2. And so what I want to do is I want to take us on a journey. I, I want to kind of tell us a story for a little bit, uh, John's story, and look at Jesus and how he got from, you know, where he came on the scene, John 1, to the point of, in John's opinion, Jesus in his full glory hanging on the cross. And so that's what we're going to do today. And so John 2 is a very famous passage, uh, one we know. It's Jesus' first miracle. And Jesus is at a wedding with his disciples, and they're just spending time with the people. They're not preaching. Uh, he's not out, like, doing his thing. He's just trying to have a good time. And then uh, Jesus' mom steps in because a problem arises. And I find this fascinating. John 2, verse 3. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman! That's a bold move to call your mom woman, but I ain't going to go into that. Why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So this is why I find this fascinating. Jesus' mom comes up and says, Jesus, there's an issue. I need you to take care of it. And Jesus goes, woman, 
bad mistake in the first place. But he goes, it's not my time. He tells his mom no. (laughs) And his mom goes, you're doing it. (laughs) You're going to do this. And, And he did. He did. He obeyed. Verse 10. He's about to go in. He he does the miracle. He changes water to wine. He obeys his mom. And this is what happens. This is how the bridegroom responds in verse 10. He says, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. So my dad's into wine. Okay, so, so this idea of Jesus is being presented to us, the audience, presented to us, the reader, and showing Jesus as a person who's doing something that's never been done before. He's, you know, before tradition is you bring out the good stuff, and when people don't really, can't really tell the difference, you, you bring out the stuff nobody's going to care about. But Jesus was going to approach all things differently. And, and here's what's fascinating. The thing he was approaching was he was quenching people's thirst. He was fulfilling their desires different than anybody had ever done before. And so what you're going to know about Jesus is the things he is going to do are different. They're not from the normal world. He's got a different message. And so this, you know, we see John doing this. He's putting this idea that God has been saving the best until now. Jesus, he's saving the best till now. We've had a lot of good people. We'll cover that here in a moment, but Jesus is the best. And so from here in John 2, Jesus moves over to John 4, and he's traveling through Samaria. The Bible says he had to go through Samaria. He had to do it. And it says Jesus being tired, which is like one of the first times we get a real look at kind of how he's feeling, kind of insides. It says Jesus feeling tired, sits down and begins to talk to a woman. And so now Jesus is breaking a lot of barriers here. One, he's sitting, well, excuse me, one, he's talking to a woman, which culturally, you know, it was looking at someone less than yourself. Secondly, he's talking to a Samaritan woman, which the half-breeds, the outcasted. And then to go even further, he looks at her and he asks her for a favor. And look at this, John 4, verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself and also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus asked her for a drink, and her response was not yes, Her response was not no. Her response was, we shouldn't even be talking. Like, you get this, right? I'm not supposed to talk to you. We're supposed to, you know, kind of nod and maybe not associate. But Jesus goes, this is the very person that I need to be talking to. 
He wanted to talk to this outcasted Samaritan woman to let her know hope was coming. Hope was coming. I know you're not a Gentile. I know you're not a Jew. I know you feel outcasted. I know you feel unloved. And we see that by later on in the passage. Hope's coming. And it's coming through me. And he demonstrates this. Jesus demonstrates this by telling her, I am going to quench your eternal thirst. This idea of thirst is still very prevalent in John's message. And so not only do we see this in John 2, we see it again here in, in John 4, but this time he goes, I'm going to quench it in such a way that's greater than every, anything you've ever seen. And going one step further, she's like, are you greater than Jacob? He goes, yes, very much so, yes. <laughs> it's not that close. I am way better. <laughs> and that's essentially what he says. Yes, I, I'm going to give you living water. Your animals have been drinking from this. Livestock, that's your lineage, Livestock. He's like, I'm going to give you something that's going to last forever. Something that's going to be permanent. And it's going to be something that this well, this place could never provide. Guys, this is huge. This is monumental. Here's a woman trying to brag about her past. Yeah, we got Jacob. He goes, I'm way better. Just, I mean, he was part of the plan. I get it. But I'm the guy. All right? You know, and that's what he's saying. I mean, he, would, he was sitting down, so it was more like this. But, but he's the guy. You know, I think this woman reminds me of somebody who's living in the past. You know, I'm a little guilty of this. You know, maybe some of you men have no idea what I'm talking about. But, you know, high school was your glory days. You still tell stories of those days. Maybe the story's a little bit more exaggerated than they should be, right? But you tell stories of those days. They were the glory days. Your kids probably know those stories. They're like, Dad, we get it, you know? But, but these, were, these were the days that you felt like you were invincible. You felt, like, you felt like, for lack of a better phrase, you could walk on water. You were, you were the man. Whether that was true or not, you felt like your body didn't hurt all the time, so you're like, I, I was the man. I was the man. And what I, what I realized is I think oftentimes... We can look at, like, maybe high school. We can look at past events, maybe college days, and we can see these as the greatest time of our lives, almost like the glory days. But what happens if we're not careful is we can be so focused on living in the past that we're not focused on walking with Jesus in the present. And so I want you to consider this for a moment and be honest with yourself. Do you feel like your best days are behind you? And now you're just coasting till it ends. Come on, Jeff. Or, or do you f- still feel like you've got this desire and this passion to walk with Jesus where he goes, where he takes you, even if it's to the cross? I just want to be with Jesus. <laughs> I- I've got more left to give. And that's what, that's what John is showing us here through Jesus. Hey, the best is, you know, one of our old marriage retreats, right? The, the best is yet to come. It, it's coming because Jesus is a part of that plan. So John has now given us insight into this living water in John 4. He, he's told us that, hey, he's greater than anything else. Jesus is greater than anything else that has come before in John 2. And then we go over to John 4, verse 46. And, and Jesus starts to tell this story. And he makes an interesting note here in John 4, 46. He's going to tell the story of an official son being healed. But he says, okay, so Jesus went back to Cana. And then he takes a moment to remind us what happened in Cana. 
Even though it was only two chapters ago, he goes, and this is the part where Jesus turned water to wine. He goes, you need to remember this part, the water to wine miracle, in order to get what's about to happen. Because other, ooh, okay. <laughs> you got to get it, all right? Sweet. All right. You guys can see the screen, right? All right. This is weird. Amen. Let's go. Let's go with it. Oh, thank the Lord. Amen. So he tells them that, you know what? You got to know this. Amen. And so an official's son was sick and Jesus heals him. Okay. And he says he can heal him. And so the official's son, oh, thank you. All right. So, so the official son was sick, and so the official comes up to Jesus and says, hey, look, I, I need you to heal my son. And Jesus doesn't answer with a, a sure or a no. This is what he says. John 4, 48. says, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. I mean, think about that. This guy, an official, walks up to Jesus, falls on his knees, and says, please, heal my son. And Jesus doesn't go, oh, my goodness, you have great faith which he does sometimes. But he knows this man's heart. He looks him square in the eye, and then he looks at all the people, and he says, unless you guys see what I can do, you're not going to believe. And he does, he does go on to heal the son, amen, but he doesn't even give the man credit for coming. Instead, he warns the people. He says, I, I am the answer, and I do have power. But if the only reason you love me is from what I can provide... Lord Jesus, right? He says, if the only reason, the only reason you want this is for what I can provide, then it's not going to last. Like our light system, right? You get what I'm saying? It's just not going to last. It won't. He says, you got to love me for me, for who I am, and for nothing more than that. It's not about the power. It's not about the things you get with walking with Jesus. It's about the person. It's about the person. The only thing that's going to last in this life is a connection and relationship with Jesus. Uh, A friend of mine from high school died this week. It's a hard sentence to say. uh, Much harder to say in your 30s. But he died. And it's sad. And I remember hearing the news and, you know, I started thinking about our memories together. Thinking about high school a little bit. I've since moved to Texas, uh, so there's not a, a great connection there anymore. But the memories were present. And then from there, I started to think about life a little bit. You know, we make plans in this life. And plans that we hope will last a while. Plans that we hope, you know, for a future on this earth. And sometimes it works out that way. Sometimes it doesn't. And maybe you're here today and you've been wrestling with this idea of finding Jesus and you know, I got time. I got time. I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out, you know? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But I think what I've realized is the only thing that will last is Jesus. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Not our plans, Not the things that we're really looking forward to. The only things that are going to last in this world is Jesus. And so I had to ask myself, am I focusing on those things that are going to last? 
Am, am I focusing on the things that are most important? And that's what Jesus was telling the people. Look, I, I want you to be with me. I do. I, I have living water. It's going to take care of you. But I want you to want me for me. Not the things that you can get from me. But just love me for who I am and for what I want to do for you because I love you for that reason. Think about if Jesus loved you for what you could do. <laughs> exactly. He loves you for you. And I think we got to look at the same way. Not what I can get out of this, but I just want to walk with my Savior. Yeah. And so we see John. He's painting this picture. And, he, and he's building up. Chapter 2, chapter 4, again in chapter 4. And then we see it here in chapter 7. Once more, he's calling all the people to him. John 7, verse 38 says, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow through them. Another translation says, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, out of him will flow rivers of living water. John is telling us that Jesus is the only person that has living water. And when he gives it to us, you're going to have rivers of living water flowing through you. You have the Spirit flowing through you because it has been given to you by Jesus. And that's the important part. It's been given to us by Jesus. So now we have John, okay? He's painted this picture for us of Jesus. Starting in John 2, where you know, Jesus was the person who was going to do things different than they've ever been done before. And then we have him going, not only is it going to be great and he's going to give us some water, he's going to give us this living water. And not only is it going to be this living water, it's going to be given to those who have felt outcasted, who have felt unloved, who have felt unwelcome. And it's going to be brought into us and will flow through us to other people. And he says, as long as you love me for me, this will all be yours. I am going to give this to you. And then John gets to John 19, 28. And we have Jesus hanging up on the cross, seeing him in all of his glory. And then he says this, verse 28 later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. The passage said everything had been finished. The mission had run its course. We see Jesus was thirsty because he had now poured himself out for all of us. He'd emptied himself for us. That living water had now been dispersed for us so that we may never be thirsty again and have hope to walk with Jesus. Jesus had nothing left. And that is why he could say it is finished. And I know you guys are going to talk about that again later. But here, here hung a man that gave everything he had. Suffered in immeasurable ways. And he did all of this because he was completely in love with you. He, he was head over heels, willing to go the extra mile, extra ten miles for you. To him, you were worth the suffering. To him, you were worth emptying yourself out, himself out. And so as we look at Jesus in this moment, the real question, as we see this man, now thirsty, hanging on the cross, is how do I respond? How do I respond? 
because he can't do nothing. (laughs) He's given everything to you and you can't go, cool story. It demands a response. And I believe we need to be thirsty like Jesus was thirsty, pouring ourselves out so others can be greater. Because we are called to imitate. Later on in one of John's other three letters, he calls us to walk as he did, to live as he lived, pouring himself out to our brothers and sisters, to the helpless, to the lost, pouring ourselves out for these people, not focusing during this time on how we might benefit from pouring ourselves out, not looking at what can I get out of my serving, but serving because Jesus first served us, because Jesus first loved us. You know, I'm excited to see what God's going to do with the Northwest region split. I'm excited to see what God will do down in the central. I'm excited to see what God's going to do up here in Denton. But in order for this to work, we're going to have to pour ourselves out a little bit more. We're going to have to. We're going to have to pour ourselves out for each other. We're going to have to pour ourselves out for the lost. We're probably going to have to do things, probably not park singing, but we're probably going to have to do some things we, we may not be used to doing. But it's not about us. It's about making God's name known to our brothers and sisters and to the people who are hurting in this world. And in order for it to work, it's going to take a complete team effort. That's it. It's going to take a complete team effort. You know, one of the things that I am very excited about with the split coming and many people coming up here is I can say on Sundays confidently, that I will not be the oldest person in the room. <laughs> it just takes a few people being sick, and that's the case. So I'm very excited to have all of you up here with us that are coming. But in order for this to work, we're going to have to pour ourselves out a little bit. You're going to have to be okay with the weird guy up on stage, you know, with his own weird sense of humor. But, you know, it's going, but we're in it together. We're in it together. And I think God's going to do great things if we pour ourselves out. You know, one of the things that I think will help us is how do we focus? You know, early on I talked about this idea, are we focusing on the past? Are we living our glory days? Are the best days behind us? But I think we're going to have to make a decision that we're going to walk step by step forward with Jesus. Living for him as we move forward. You know, when Kelly and I pray uh, every day with our daughters, it's, it's a very consistent prayer. Okay, so what we do is we pray for the people we're grateful for, that God has put in our lives, and so either uh, we'll pray or our daughters will pray. It's just a thank you for the people that they put in, the, uh, in our lives. And then the second thing that we pray for each time, regardless of where it's at, meal, bedtime, whatever, we pray for our children to grow up to love him, and to marry somebody that loves him. We're praying for the future for our children. We want them to pray for their future with God as they walk with God. We don't want God to be just a reaction in the present. We want God to be something they long for and dream about. And having people in their lives, whether it be a spouse, whether it be friends that are gonna long long for God and dream with them as they move forward. And I think that's the idea. In order for us to be successful, we're going to have to dream together but forward with God about what he wants from our lives. And it may not be what we want, 
but it's, it's about what he wants in making his name known. A lifestyle in which we are constantly pouring ourselves out can probably end up leaving us a little bit tired, though. If, if we're always giving to other people, right, as I talked about, if we're, we're always giving to other people, we, we can often feel like we're going to be running on empty a little bit. Okay, Jeff, we get it. Okay, we're with you. Got to give more. Got to, I got to run on empty a little bit. Amen, we do. And, and I'm not talking about this idea of getting to a point where you're constantly pouring your out, yourself out and you feel like you're, you're just beaten down and, you know, you're helpless. But what I am talking about is getting to a point where you're, you're so helpless that the only answer you have is walking with God. The only way you can function is if you walk with God and you thirst for him and desire him and depend on him and his strength because then we'll be going the right direction. And so what I want to do is I want to give us two things that we can focus on. So how can we practically focus on pouring ourselves out so we can become more thirst, uh, thirsty spiritually like Jesus was? So number one, I think we've got to strive to run on empty. It's got to be our goal to run on empty. Again, not so that we tire ourselves out and, and just run ourselves ragged. No. But we're at a point where we know that we cannot do it without God. This is not going to happen. And it's, not, it's only through him and his strength that we'll, we will move forward. And I think if we get to this point, I believe God's going to bless that. I believe he will. But we've got to have the mentality that we're going to run on empty so we can rely more on him. And I think the second thing we've got to do is we've got to focus on the cross. John paints this picture of a Jesus that poured himself out to us because of, again, how much he loved us. And I think we see that love being demonstrated finally on the cross. And if our focus stays on Jesus for that, then I think we're going to have something that's going to last. And so as we close here, we've got to understand that John wrote a gospel for us to show us how much Jesus loved us, to show much, how much Jesus poured himself out for us. And I, I believe the only response that we can have that, in, in my opinion, is demanded from us is that we thirst like Jesus thirst because we poured ourselves out for him, for our brothers and sisters, and for the lost. Amen? Thank you.